Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are now listening to the Dual Position Podcast. The boys are back to talk all things super coach all season long. Please welcome your hosts, Whisperer and Brew. Two positions down. Uh, hooker and props done and dusted. Two positions that unfortunately have become a little bit irrelevant in recent times with the Supercoach changes, but we are back today with the 2RF, and there is a whole lot to talk about today. There is many guns, many mids, and a few bolters we've got as well. I am the SC Whisperer. You are listening to the Dual Position Podcast, as always, joined by my illustrious co-host, Brew SC, who is sporting the very fancy uh, high-vis straight out of the worksite. Mate, how are we going? Good, mate. Yeah, so I did... Um I did rush home today to record this podcast, so I am keen. Um, I think you just said that uh, the front row forward wasn't very illustrious. After our pod the other day, I'm actually keen on quite a few guys. I've got three gun front row forwards in my pack at the moment, so I hope other people uh, took note of some of the things I said and made some changes to their teams as well. First thing I did, mate, was was pull up the Supercoach website and see how I could fit in Haas, AFB and Stefano. And look, it does. It That's does. My three. It does give the hit to, to the rest of them. I had to sacrifice a few two RFs. I'm not too sold if I'm going to go down the three gun forward spots. I think this year, like we're not talking about strategy, but like with the season coming up, and we've just seen what's happened with the BBL. I I know you and I will will talk about this in future, but maybe going the no NPR route may be an issue because of just how decimated sides may get with COVID. I think it's going to be good to have a few backups, but. Look, once we know more of as to how the NRL are going to handle the COVID situations, I'm sure we can make a strategy podcast and give the listeners sort of an idea where our head's at. Mate, as I said, uh, we're here to discuss two RFs and there's uh, there's quite a few to talk about and it's not so clear cut as probably the hookers and front row forwards were, uh, is it? No, there's a lot more options. So there's a lot more to discuss, I guess. Harder choices to be made. It's a, probably a good area to possibly carry some pods in your lineup. So... Yeah, it's it's deep. This is where I think some teams will differ as well because some teams are going to uh, go for the, the big names and just try and build a base around that. Some guys are going to try and go a little bit cheaper and build elsewhere. The first name that we're going to talk about, though, I feel if you are going to go heavy in your 2RFs, he has to be here. He is the clear-cut best 2RF. And, and even though he, he dipped in and out of games last year, his scores were still phenomenal. And we are talking about David Fafita. If you're going to spend the cash in the 2RFs, I'd be I'd be building a side around him because we know that he was suffering with that uh, back injury, getting needles or, or whatever, and he was still a weapon. Uh, he's not like other two RFs where the try scoring it can't improve. I don't think Fafita is going to score more tries than what he did, but he's always going to be there and a threat, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's quite capable of scoring as many tries as he did last year. Definitely, um, whether or not he does is a different story, but. He was leaps and bounds above above the rest last season, 85 average. Uh, his 60-60 was 81%, which is, you know, I haven't done for this for fullback yet, but it's probably the best that you're going to see. Um, his minutes his minutes are a little bit of a concern. Obviously, last year there was times that he started off the bench. Some games he played 80 minutes. Overall, he ended up averaging 66 minutes. Now, that's not uncommon for a second rower but you know if he if he moves into that 80 minute territory of your angus Crichton types your ryan madison types this guy could be anything um his base is not outstanding um probably the next eight guys i'm going to talk about will have a better base but his attack is pretty much double the rest of the guys that we're going to talk about and that's where that's where Fafita is just the king. He he scores so much attack that it's scary. And it's kind of scary for me as I haven't had a side yet that has Fafita in it. Um, I don't like paying big bucks for second rowers to start the season. Um, but I'm a little bit scared of not owning this bloke. 
745k, obviously the most expensive. 2RF, like pure 2RF, we've still got Isaiah Papali'i there or thereabouts. But Fafita averaged, I think, 7.04 tackle busts a game, if you include finals, and which, which equated to 155. Now, Turbo averaged 6.88. So Fafita was averaging more tackle busts than Turbo. In weird minutes, he was used off the bench. I I really, really like him. I'm just trying to pull up the, the little run-up I did on him. So when it comes to pros and cons, as I said, he was a league leader in tackle busts. He has an elite scoring ceiling, like the best in out of any forward, I would say, uh, including hooker and uh, front row and front row forward. The, mm-hmm. the the negatives is obviously the benching risk, and, and we saw that he was used as an impact player. Was that down to him having the back issue? Who knows? He also has the very very low base, as you said, only was it thirty eight points a game in base. But I think he's yeah. similar to Tevita Pangai in that mold where, yeah, the work rate isn't there, but he makes up for it in tackle busts, offloads, scoring. As you said, has one of the best attacks uh, in terms of like attack statistics out of all the forwards, even though the base is very low. And the issue with Fafita is the points will come in spurts. So if you own him, it might be a rough 60 minutes, but in that 20 minutes, he could put on 100 points. Like He's that kind of guy. I remember... The try against the Knights, I want to say, it was very under-12s-like. It was tap the ball 10 metres out, run straight, and just run over the top of people. And to do that in first grade is, yeah, he, he was fantastic. And uh, just about won the game for the Titans uh, against the Roosters in the semi-final if he was given the ball wide open. And uh, we could be saying different things about the Titans this year. But, yeah, for me, if you're building a side around a big name to RF, it has to be for Fafita because he's just going to be there, thereabouts. You you might lose a little bit of cash, but you just know that the yeah the scoring is 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 just incredible. And, and I didn't expect him to do as well as he did last year. And I see no reason as to why we we would see a decline. No, I, I think it's going to be more of the same. Um, one thing I will note is is the base that we're talking about is pure base, so that's pretty much just your straight up hit ups and tackles. If you add his evade in um, and his create in, which a lot of people do when they work out base plus power, he's actually got a base plus power of 73. So the floor is high. It's a very high floor for this fella. We just need to make sure that he's getting the minutes. If he gets those minutes, chances are he's going to reward you. And your base plus power is key for you guys like Fafita because we know he isn't a tackle machine, he isn't a hit-up machine, but it's what he does with the balls that he gets. He'll he'll break two tackles, he'll get an offload. Like I said, seven tackle busts a game. Uh, he was a weapon. For 100k cheaper, and he has been in a lot of my sides, he was out of my side last night because I tried to fit in Stefano and AFB. Uh, that is Angus Crichton. Now, Crichton, he didn't set the world on fire last year, but just did what we expect him to do. He's just a very, very consistent scorer, my biggest issue was his record at the, at the judiciary. He is not very well liked there, and it doesn't seem to take much to get him in the bad books when it comes to the match review committee. No, it certainly doesn't. Um, it's very frustrating as a Rooster supporter as well. There was a few things last year that he was suspended for that others got you know, a pat on the back or a small fine, and he was getting suspended for long periods of time. So hopefully that changes this year. Hopefully... Robbo works on his discipline and he himself works on his discipline. Um, But in terms of his numbers, you know, he pretty much plays 80 minutes. Uh, He's got a 79 average. And again, you know, they get a rest every now and then. So he's an 80 minute edge back rower. That's brilliant. His base is 50 plus. That's amazing. His attack is 28, which is the second best of all the people that we're going to talk about today. That is why he's the second overall edge back rower. A few little points. Um, He's scoring and his minutes uh, historically now uh, do dip over the origin period. So in the middle of the season, he does seem to go through a lull. But historically as well, he actually starts the year like a house on fire. So he's certainly not a bad option to start the season with. Yeah, and I, I had him in my side and planned to flick him during origin. And look, come round one, I don't think I can viably have a side with Stefano and AFB. I think I'll have to choose between one or the other. And, and I'll bring Crichton back in. But as you said, yeah, he's got incredible tacking upside. He scored nine tries in 18 games. That's a try every two games, which is fantastic for an edgeback rower. He also has a fantastic base plus power. We talked about Fafita's B, B plus P, which was, I think, 72 or 73 you mentioned. Crichton's a 66. So for 100K cheaper, you, yeah, you're going to lose the, what is it, six or seven points in base plus power. You're going to lose a few of the tries. But for the 100K, can you spend it elsewhere? 
that's probably for, for you guys to work out and how you're building your sides. Another sort of negative I wanted to put on Crichton, I don't think it'll be an issue in 2022 because the Roosters have signed more back depth, but he is very versatile and often found himself playing in the centres as well. When when things went a bit pear-shaped for the Roosters last year, Robbo uh, flicked him out there on the left-hand side in the centres. I don't think that's going to be an issue this year because they do have uh, some good back depth now. So while he's gotten older, they've signed Mama Robski. They've got Billy Smith as well. So I don't think that's too much of an issue, but it's definitely something to worth note. Uh, could fall into the Connor Watson versatile category. No, I don't think it'll happen at all this year unless it's actually to fill within a game. Um, you've got also got AK. In the side, you've got Wes Naguama. They're, they're quite deep now at centre. Sean O'Sullivan um, so can, can definitely fill a job. Oh, not Sean O'Sullivan. He's, he's, um, he's off to the Panthers. I don't know why I said Sean O'Sullivan. Scratch that. I was thinking of Adam Keir. I was thinking of Warriors halves that yeah. didn't, didn't pan out. <laughs> so I don't think he's too much of a risk there. And he's 60-60 he's with 72%. So you basically know that he's going to get between 60 and 75 a week. And you can just bank on that. Of course, of course. But it, it is something that, that has to be, I guess, mentioned. That we can't all uh, have full positives for players. That there is all. If everyone had no, no negatives, then uh, they'd be 100% owned. But there is... I guess the risk of him moving to the centres in game, which we we did see last year at times, but I'm in I'm in your camp. I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue, but it's something to to worth note, mate. The new captain at Redfern, Cameron Murray, uh, another one who has been in my side basically since we we had the game available to us. He's just getting better year on year, and and everyone's touted him for Australian captaincy eventually. And uh, yeah, I think that's that could be on the cards, especially if he continues to develop his game at the way he is. What are the stats looks like for for Cam Murray? So he has a 70 average. Um, he does typically start the season a little bit slower and he comes home with a wet sail. So over the last couple of seasons, he's finished the back quarter or the back, sorry, the back third of the season with an 80 plus average. Um, and he's done that now, I think it's for two or three seasons in a row compared to the start of the season where he typically is 60 to 65 to start the year. Uh, last season, overall, he ended up with an average of 70. Uh, his base is 51. His attack is 20, uh, which isn't terrible. Uh, and I think that there, you, you can definitely see an increase coming there potentially if Cook opens up a little bit more in the middle and he's not held back and you've got guys like Latrell and Cody making line breaks and he follows that ball more. He could get an increase in his attack. Minutes-wise, 62 minutes. I would love to see that bump up to a 65 to 68. He'd be a real, real asset if that were to happen. 60-60, uh, 59% of the time. So he's quite consistent in what he does. Priced at a 614-800, definitely someone that's on my radar, but not currently in my team. Yeah, I think I had him in my side, more so that I've got the 600K there. So when I'm planning my teams preseason, I like to just go more expensive. If I'm on the fence between a 500,000K guy and a 600,000K guy, I'll generally just edge towards a 600K guy because that way uh, I can always just downgrade and, and find the funds and... I'll just make a quick note on that. I've got a lot of messages from people asking what the plan is for preseason, like when you're building your side, should you have money left over or what whatnot. I don't think anyone's going to have the same side now as to what they will closer to the season. But I do think sort of coming to the end of February when you're starting to solidify your sides, I would recommend keeping 150k aside there or thereabouts because Teamless Tuesday is going to throw you up a, a curveball. A lot of these sides have cheapies in there that, that realistically probably aren't going to play. So I would keep some money aside closer to the to the start date so when Teamless Tuesday throws itself up, you can you can yeah, you can overcome that. But as for Cam Murray, mate, I am I'm a very, very huge fan. The next man that we'll talk about, I'm I'm pretty cold on to be honest, even when he comes back from injury. Yeah, so the next man is Tohu Harris. Obviously, he's not due back until weeks 8 to 12, somewhere yeah, around about, that mark, I look, believe. For, for your ACLs, it's about nine months, um, which would see him come, I think, about mid-April. So that's saying that he'll come back at the nine-month mark, which is between sort of, yeah, rounds 8, 10, 11-ish there, thereabouts. But okay. even even historically, mate, forwards coming back off ACLs, it, it never goes well for the first eight weeks, I'd say. He's probably someone on, that you'll look at for the run home, but you'll touch on his on his 2021 stats, but I don't think it's a true reflection of what we can expect from him coming back from, from such a bad injury. Yeah, so in 20, 
21. It was a 68.6 average with a 54 base. So brilliant base from him, but that's probably no surprise. He's such a worker. Attack has dipped over the years. Uh, he's down to a 16 for attack. Uh, Minutes-wise, 69. So that's elite minutes. Uh, and 73% of the time, so the second best of anyone on this list in terms of his 60-60. So he's extremely consistent. He's at 601-500. He's obviously not an option right now, so he's not really someone I'll discuss heavily. I will say this, but I have sent some feelers out to someone in the Warriors camp to try and get an inside word on who will be playing lock this year, and I did that today. Good to know. Good to know. It's always good to have some kind of mini connections at clubs. I have not reached out to any of mine yet, so it's good that you're on the ball, mate. Um, But as for Tohu, yeah, unfortunately for me, he will only be coming into my side probably rounds 21 onwards, unfortunately, even though he had such a historical year last year. In saying that, though, I am not against having Warriors in my side. I'm definitely not against having Josh Curran. He was sensational last year in the minutes that he got. He has earned the jersey, for my mind. There is there is no two ways about that. He will be in the starting 13. The question is where, and I'm assuming that's the feeler that you put out to, to your guy, the Warriors, is whether Curran plays on the edge or whether Curran plays at 13. And more specifically, I was questioning about Bailey Simonson and where, not Simonson. Sirenen. <laughs> Sirenen, uh and where he's going to play this year because there is a rumour that he's he's in the mix uh, for the lock position and him, Jazz, and as you mentioned, Curran is an option if he's not on the edge. So I would like a bit more clarity on that because there are guys and Curran is one of them that I am looking at, um, but I really need to know what's happening with the makeup of that side before I go down that path. Where, In terms of last season, I'll go on, sorry. Where do you want Curran to play? Because I'd personally prefer him on the edge. I think he's a brilliant line runner and him off SJ um, could be, yeah, could be unreal. Yeah, it's double-edged sword for me because I'd really like to see you and eight can retain his edge spot. Oh, of co- of course. I think I think that's, that's the... That's the romantic side of things because that frees up so much more for Supercoach. But I guess if Curran was named at an edge, I would be very happy. And I'm very happy to jump on him at sort of mid-500s. Oh, playing off SJ, absolutely. Uh, it just comes down to whether he plays right or left. Yeah. Um, go on. I assume it would be left. Um, so with his numbers, I'll run through his numbers last year. So it was a real breakout season for him. 66.9 was his average. 46 in base. So he's, he's not elite but he's definitely still a worker uh 24 in attack which i think is third best so that was surprising for me i've always known karen to be a very talented player but not show the attack that he showed us last year that blew me away average 70 minutes and that's why i'm quite positive he will have a starting role next season uh, and 50 percent of the time he was going above 60 so he's priced at a 586 um, he did move around quite a bit last year, but predominantly played on the edge on the left side. He is someone that you will flick on at round 11. When Toho is back, I can't see a world where you own Curran because I'm just worried that he's going to be around the same price. Like he's priced at a 67 average. I don't see that dropping off a cliff. I think 65 worse and he's got the upside. But with Tohu in the side, I, I worry that a bit of that work goes away. And I think he'll be a brilliant hold until then. And hopefully Fafita drops some cash, or if you don't go with a Crichton, he drops some cash, even though it is over the origin period. So it's something that you'll have to cross that bridge when you come to it. But if you do pick up current for round one, my advice would be to probably move on round 10, round 11. I would have loved to see him sub 550. 586, I probably still will dabble at. Uh, It just would have made my life a lot easier if he was picked at, yeah, 550-ish, unfortunately. Oh, 550 would be real tempting. Um, 500 would be absolutely lock him into my side. He's still on the radar, but he's definitely someone I'm considering. Yeah. If you if you decide to go heavy in center wing or heavy in your halves or whatever and you had a Crichton, you could definitely drop down to Curran and, and find the extra 100k. Or if you wanted to go with the strategy that, Blue, that Brew was talking about on Wednesday uh, in terms of going bigger on your front row forwards with your Haas and your AFBs or your Vaughns or your Welchers, like... As we said on Wednesday, mate, there is a, a huge amount of guys you can pick from in your front row. And if you wanted to to go steady there, then you could drop down to a Curran from a, from a Crichton or a Murray or whatever, and you've got some cash there. Um, mate, as we were putting this list together, we, we sort of chucked some names out. And look, Tyson Frizzell, he's not a name that 
I think gets spoken about in enough light for Supercoach. And I guess he's in a, such a talented class with guys like Murray and Crichton, Fafita and, and Papali'i last year that that he doesn't really get spoken about near uh, near enough. But he's a mid-60s guy year in, year out. And uh, he has that uh, brilliant attacking upside. And he's just a bloke that loves to churn through work. As we said when we were talking about Saifidi on Wednesday, that Frizzell loves to get an arm freeze. He's one of these guys that just racks up points and, and goes about it in a way that, that sort of goes unnoticed. Absolutely. So this man actually has a 65 average, which completely went under the radar for me. I did not even realize that. And it was not until I was looking at his stats that I realized, hey, this guy might actually be a decent option. He did a 63 average in 2020. So it's obviously no fluke what he's doing. He, looking at it, he scored three tries last season. All of those tries came before round 10. Uh, And I mentioned when we were talking about Braley, I think it was, that that was around the period that Newcastle fell off a cliff. They just lost their attack. They lost their point scoring ability. So that might be a bit of an outlier for me, um, that he could score six to eight tries this season if Newcastle start to gel again. And his price isn't too bad. So he's certainly someone that I could support getting getting into your team. Uh, his base is 50. Uh, his attack is 16. But if we go to V plus P, which I mentioned earlier, he's actually got 15, sorry, four, uh, 13. So he'd actually have a 63 base plus power, which means that his floor is incredibly good for an edge back row, really consistent. If he gets a few extra tries, he could he could very well push close to your Crichton type levels. Do you want to know what would make Tyson Frizzell an even more appealing option for me. That, that is if we hear that Ponga is developing his right-hand side game. Now, we remember back a couple of years ago, he linked up with Fitzgibbon on the left quite well, linked up with Barnett quite well, both left-hand sided guys. And we know that Ponga uh, dominates on the left-hand side. But with Clifford there, it looked like Ponga's touches were, were getting sort of, more, sort of more and more limited. If he can find swinging off the right-hand side with, you would assume, Clune, and he can hit bar, he can hit Frizzell a lot shorter. Yeah, I'm all over Frizzell, especially at the price. And especially with how consistent he is, the, the only knock on him is obviously the origin. Um, that's the, a knock with a lot of the, these top-tier guys that we're talking about. But, yeah, if Ponga can, can start finding his form on the right-hand side of the field, I will be all over, uh, yeah, Frizzell. Look... We're talking about switching sides, left hand, right hand. Parramatta experimented with trying Ryan Madison on sort of both edges last year. They ended up reverting back to his strong side. Does have the concussion issue, but we know that he's a proven gun in years gone by. He is cheaper than a lot of the guys we've spoken about here. I think he was average 64.5 from memory. Um, Yeah, I just want to see him play a string of games together before, yeah, jumping on him. I'm straight on. He's the first guy I picked this season. Uh, reason for that is is that his average minutes last year dropped down to 69 minutes um, due to a lot of factors, many of them you just mentioned. I don't see that staying the course this season, especially with Papa Lee leaving the club. If they're going to rotate anyone, I think he'll be the one that gets rotated. Um, Madison, I believe, is also coming off contract. They're probably going to want to re-sign that bloke, uh, especially after the players that they have lost over the last couple of months. So he, he's coming off a season where he averaged 64.9, so just call it 65. His base is 56. That's elite. That's top tier. His attack dropped down to 19. Typically, his attack is higher than that. Um, and we we saw what happened last season, so it's understandable that that did dip. Now, last season, his 60-60 was only at 56%, but the two seasons prior to this, it was well over 90. It was 94% in 2020 and that's the outlier for me if you have a bloke that nearly 100 percent of the time is going 60 plus that is lock it in don't trade it all season no stress and you're getting him at a discount he's at least as good a player or very close to angus Crichton for me and if i can get him for a hundred thousand dollars cheaper bang lock that in especially with the eels opening draw yeah, the Eels draw is very good. The really good point that you brought up was the emergence of Isaiah Papali'i. There was also an emergence of Bryce Cartwright as well, who was playing some really good footy last year and, and forced him to get some minutes. 
So that's to consider. Um, I do agree that Papali'i will be probably rotated through the middle, uh, even though I don't love Sean Lane. Um, yeah, I just think that, that since he's leaving the club, that, that Isaiah Papali'i will be the, the one that has to form the sword, and that would open up minutes for Ryan Madison. Definitely not ruling him out of my side. I just sort of... I'd love to know the Eels rotation. That would make life a lot easier for me. And um, you have faith in in the fact that they'll play Matto. The only issue is the, is the concussions. But you and I are both high on Ryan Pappenhausen. We think Pappenhausen could average 115, 120, who also has concussion issues. So why should it be that much of an issue? Um, which, yeah, is, is a good point. So definitely don't hate the Matto shout. And, yeah, if I need to find some funds, I'll downgrade Crichton to a Madison or a Crichton to a... Yeah, current as we touched on. Mate, that's going to round out, I guess, the the elite talents in terms of the, the guys that are going to average you mid-60s plus. There is some good mid-rangers this year, though. There's plenty of sort of guys between 400, 500k that, that are getting a lot of preseason love. And, and one of them is Jason Tamalolo. We'll touch on him first and foremost because there is so much talk about him and what he's going to do, whether he's going to play in the front row, whether... They shift him to an edge or they play him at 13. I think Todd Payton's got just as much of an idea as what to do with Lolo as we do. So I think that says a lot about the Cowboys. But look, hopefully Cotter plays 13. They just put Tam Lolo in the front row and just say, look, run hard, tackle hard, and burst through some some line rakes. And we get back to Lolo, which what he was, which was a consistent 70-point scorer in 60 minutes with, with a PPM of, yeah, between 1.15, 1.3, there or thereabouts. I... And taking a punt on Lolo, I much rather him over someone else. We'll talk about it at the end in Liam Martin. I think if you have the cash, just take a punt on Lolo. I don't know if that if if Supercoach are dangling the the carrot in front of my nose here in in wanting people to take him. But yeah, a down year last year. Even if he gets, even if he gets a fraction of the production, because the minutes weren't an issue with Lolo. He lost I think three minutes from memory, so that didn't equate a fifteen point loss. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm getting suckered into this or if it's the right play to take Lolo. I'm going to rename this segment The Fallen Guns. Uh, and over the next, say, half an hour, you're going to find out why. So, as you mentioned, Jason Tamalolo, he falls into that category of a fallen gun. Average last season was 55.4, by far his worst season Yuck. that he's had in recent memory. Uh, 47 was his base, so he's still, he's still got the work rate there. Uh, his attack was only 10. Uh, you've got a player like Jason Tamalolo when he's averaging 10 points in attack. That's the difference, and that's the big killer for this guy. Uh, his 60-60 dropped down to 33%, which was extremely inconsistent. And his minutes were at 59. So 59 is not terrible, but it, I guess previously he would have been probably averaging, say, 65 minutes, would have been about what he used to play when he was playing lock. So they did take him back a little bit in the minutes, but not enough to equate for the the level of the average drop from last season. He did get shuffled around. They try to change his role. I believe he'll play prop next year. And I if he plays even six oh, he plays even, 50, Yeah, even even fifty five, like that's still fine for me at prop. That's what I was about to say. So if he plays fifty nine, brilliant. Sixty minutes of prop, wow, he'll he'll average sixty five. At 55, as long as he gets back to his old PPM and he's allowed to, you know, offload and not pass before the line a la, you know, Jake Trebojevic, that might concern me a little bit. But at the moment, I'm taking him uh, 485. I'm hoping for a big bounce back. I'm hoping he can push the 600K barrier after a few good performances and then reassess. Look, even even fifty five minutes at a one point two ppm. One point two ppm is not out of the question for Jason Tamalolo at at front row. That's sixty six points. Now, that's not what he was. Do I think he'll ever get back to seventy? I, I don't, unfortunately, not with the way the game is headed. But even at sixty six, that's eleven points of value, and we will see a price increase if he can get to sixty six average. That takes him into the Tohu Harris category of of kind of guys, and we speak about Tohu in such a high high praise. So. Yeah, I'm taking the punt on Lolo. You are as well. I don't know if you and I will be sitting here round three putting cold water on the burns that we've been given, but I just it's just too juicy to turn down, I feel. And if we get more clarification on what's going to happen, um, it'll, make the, it'll make life easier whether we go with him or we don't. So 
we'll have to wait for preseason news, but the in, initial sign for me is is we'll take him. Mate, you wanted to talk about things that we'll label as, as the fallen guns, and, and none more encapsulate that than Jake Trevojevic. Now, God, I remember 2016, 2017, he was one of the first blokes picked, but now um, I've see, I see you written here on the run sheet in big capital letters, avoid at all costs. Pretty much. So, yeah, a few years ago, this guy was finishing top three overall and top in his position. And since Des has come back, he's he's got him as a ball-playing lock. I'm not saying he's playing bad footy, but he's playing bad footy for super coach compared to what he used to do. So his base, his base is 50, so that's a good base. He's still an excellent worker. His attack dropped to eight, which absolutely baffles me how a manly side that scored so many points last season he can only score eight he used to always be there with his brother he'd often be putting his brother into the gaps just didn't happen last year minutes wise 76 minutes so he's still pretty much playing 80 minutes a game week in and week out only 40 percent of the time did he go above 60 so you know flip a coin as to what you're going to get from him week to week uh, all of his stats basically crashed last season. He is a heavier void for me, especially when I can get Tamalolo 6K cheaper, you know, DeBellin 10K cheaper. So he's a hard no from me. Now, you, you've just mentioned Jack DeBellin, mate, and, and he he is in my side at the moment. And it seems like you're speaking about him in a positive light, obviously him over, over Trevojevic. There's unknowns when it comes to what the Dragons are going to do. Some people have Jack Bird playing 13 with DeBellin in the back row. I, I personally don't see DeBellin as a, as a back row type guy. I think Jack Bird is a much more versatile player that can play on the edge, similar to a and Aiken, and I think DeBellin would, would be at 13, and, and that's the reason why I've taken a punt on him. I know that um, you're, you currently don't have him in your side, but is there, a, is there a deeper look at the stats that maybe suggest that you do want to bring him in for, for that 480k price tag? I personally have him playing prop for the Dragons this year, and I do have Jack Bird playing in the 13. So His numbers last year that, uh, were... Fifth, sorry. No, I'm just thinking, so, so that they brought in Aaron Woods, and they also have Jackson Ford. They also have Blake Laurie. I just think there's George a lot. George Burgess. George Burgess. Uh, George Burgess has a metal hip. I, I wouldn't be trusting him. But there, there's there's a backlog of, of decent talent in the front row, and I, I don't know. I just feel like he could offer more at 13. Then you've got Jack Bird at 12, and Moses and by most likely at, at 14, or even um, Sullivan at 14, depending on where they go with that. So I, I feel like DeBellin could set a good platform at 13, and and they bring one of those younger guys on or, or an Mbai to just cover the role. I, I don't want to go into the Dragon starting side just yet. Uh, we'll touch on them closer to the season. But, yeah, my, my initial thoughts is just DeBellin probably fits a little bit better with what they've got at at at, prior, at 13. He could start at 13, then one of Laurie or Woods or, or um, Ford could have a spell, and then he could move into the front row with, with one of those more versatile guys coming at 13. I, I don't know. Um, you Yeah, you would think Tarek Sims holds down one spot. You've also got Josh Maguire there as well. I think he's suspended for the first six weeks, so maybe DeBellin isn't isn't the best play, or, or maybe he's a short-term play. But, yeah, I mean, he came back last year after the ordeal that he had, and and, um, and Hook Griffin basically chucked him straight in after maybe one or two games off the bench, remembering, and he was straight in there. So I think the 13 jersey is DeBellin's for the first couple of weeks. You, you see it a bit differently, which is good. It's good to have differing opinions, but... But even still, like I still think he's an okay option for the first month and a bit with uh, with Moose. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, so last season he played six games at lock and he played two at prop. Uh, Based on that data, if he does play lock, he's a lot more of a favorable option than when he plays at prop. His numbers reduce quite heavily when he does play in the prop position. So if he were to be named at lock, he's certainly an impressive option. 
Uh, he got quite a few good scores last year uh, between, say, 70 and, and 90. And then the others were floating between, say, 50 to 60 more often than not. So his numbers aren't too bad. His price certainly isn't too bad at 480. His base was 49 last season. His average minutes was 63. If he's playing lock with a full preseason, having played, what, half of last season, I think it was. I think it was about 12 games that he ended up playing last season. I could see the minutes increasing. If the minutes increase, the average should increase. So I think he could end up being a 62 to 65 average player. And if that were to be the case, there's a bit of money in it. And for the price, he could be a real handy option to start the season. Not someone I'm personally looking at, but if named at lock, definitely a good option. Yeah, 55 last year. Uh, I'm not too sure what his fitness would have been like coming in. You would expect he was probably probably a little bit underdone. Match fitness wasn't there. So I think he increases on the 55. He has to be named at lock for me to, to be intrigued by him. And I have to know that he's going to hold that spot for a while because I don't know... I don't know if I want to take him for a five-week punt. I don't really want to book in trades. It's never never a good idea, is it? I book in trades. It's I, I did it a lot last season. If more so, more so this far it's out. Just like planning. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be locking myself into a five-week trade, um, knowing that that Maguire is coming back and that could could ruin it because who knows what's going to happen? COVID, HIAs. You know, I kind of wanted especially my two RFs, I just want a little bit more um, stability and, and trying to trying to minimise trades as much as possible, which is why I'm keen on taking Harry Grant, uh, even though he's out for a week. So that'll be something I'll have to think about as a potential DeBellin owner is what's going to happen with the huge backlog the Dragons have of, of front row forwards and, and locked talent. Uh, mate, we are, we'll talk about Pat Carrigan and another guy that we don't know whether he's going to play lock, whether he's going to play prop or, or whatever. Another guy coming off the back of a pretty bad injury. There is there is a bit of interest behind him. I know I, I've received a few messages and a few comments about Pat Carrigan. If he plays big minutes, what's going to happen? I don't know if the big minutes are going to be there straight away. But yeah, it's another one of these guys that, that is mid 400k that yeah, could could go well well far and beyond uh, his average. Yeah, there's a plethora of guys in this price range this coming season. That's why I'm finding the positions a little bit hard because at the moment, my highest priced edge back row is probably Tavita Pangai, which means that I'm already missing your Murrays, your Angus Crichtons, Dave Fafitas, but then even lower than that, there's so many guys in this bracket and even the bracket down to choose from. So it's it's a little bit of a blessing. Carrigan is a very interesting one because if you look at his numbers in 2020 and you compare them to what he did last season, there was a massive fall off. Um, so even, even I don't know where I stand yeah. on it. Sorry, As, yeah, I was just saying, even even pre injury, like obviously had the the, the season injury, but he wasn't really doing a, a whole lot beforehand as well. But th- there there was Matt Lodge and and Tavita Pengai to to compete with at the time as well. So sixty seven was the average in in twenty twenty, and he was very consistent. Compare that to last season when the average was only fifty two point eight. The base was forty nine, which again is is fine. There was no attack whatsoever. It was at six his minutes went down to 55. So I guess it really just depends, A, what position he's going to play, and B, you know, how many minutes is this guy going to get per game? I think that's that's the thing that worries me the most about Carrigan. If he was locked in to play 65, I'd probably, yeah, have him in my side. But it was the fact there was such a massive drop-off in minutes and, and we've got the emergence of some young Broncos coming through that could really throw it out of whack or it could open up for him because they, they have Tavita Pengai that's left. They've had Matt Lodge that's left. And that sort of all happened as he as he had the injury, the season-ending season injury, if I can talk. So th- there is some unknowns there. I'm always intrigued by the unknowns. But I think it's maybe too much of a risk to take when there is guys that I prefer at the same price bracket uh, in your Tamalolos, etc. So if you pick Pat Carrigan and you send me your team, I am not going to hate it. I just personally, I'm just so worried about the the minutes. If he was, 
if he was having the same minutes and then dropped off with the work rate, I could probably make an excuse for that and, and maybe get behind the fact that that'll pick back up with those guys that have left. But yeah, it's the minutes that, that have really fallen off a cliff that, that do concern me as a potential Pat Carrigan owner. Uh, mate, <laughs> Jai Arrow. Um, now, for anyone that is new to me, to this show or whatever, and uh, I thank you for, for tuning in. Uh, all of preseason last year, I slammed Jai Arrow. Uh, I was the number one ticket holder on the Jai Arrow, Jai Arrow hate train. I didn't think it would work out well for him at South Sydney. Um, and look, yeah, it... It didn't in terms of Supercoach. He was priced at sort of mid-400s last year for Supercoach. And he, uh, I think he came out in game one and scored 70. And I looked like an absolute mug. But after that, it sort of tailed off a little bit and didn't go so well. And he ended up sort of being a little bit mediocre uh, for what he was in previous years. Hence why you wanted to title this The Fallen Guns. South Sydney Jai Arrow is not Gold Coast Titans Jai Arrow. Now... I come out and said that Jai Arrow was just a guy, a big fish in a small pond at the Titans back when they sucked, and that was probably a little bit harsh. He's still still a very good footballer, but for Supercoach, it's it's tough. I mean, they've got Jaden Sewer that's left. That that opens up a back row spot. Do we think Arrow slots in to start? Yes. He'll be on the edge. I think he'll be starting edge back row, and his average and his base last season increased heavily when he did move to the edge, so and his minutes. So there's potential there, but I think what you said is correct. This, this dry arrow isn't the Titans dry arrow. That was, you know, an absolute workhorse and a half. You know, he was one of the first guys that you wanted to pick every season. Cause you were just like, Oh, if this guy can just get five more minutes, you know, he could be anything. It just never really panned out. And eventually he started getting five less minutes until he left, went to South Sydney and played off the bench for most of the season or just came on as a, mediocre impact player that didn't do a great deal com- to, compared to his potential. But now if starting for mid 400s there, you could pick him, but at the same time, there's probably two Cowboys edge back rowers for 350 that you could pick that will give you the equal output. Yeah. My, my tide hasn't changed on Jai Arrow from what I was saying last year, but it, it's nowhere near as harsh. Um, I think I was just very harsh because people were trying to to tip him to start at thirteen over Cam Murray and move Cam Murray to lock uh, to to the back row, which yeah. I thought was stupid. And that's I guess that was the reason why my blood was boiling so much. But another year older, another year wiser, also copped a lot of hate. So don't don't want that again. Um, I'm nowhere near as harsh on Jai Arrow as what I was last year, as I said. But I'm not overly high on him. If he starts and he plays sixty minutes and he does what Keon Kulmatungi did, cool. He could be an option. He's just got to find the attack. But with no Adam Reynolds, I worry that Cody Walker is going to have to start shifting both sides, which will take away his sort of prowess on one side of the field or whatever. So, yeah, for me, Arrow, not not hating it. I just want to see more from him before I take the dive. And that's why Supercoach gives us the first two rounds to have a look. I want to have a look at how a new coach um, uses him and, and sort of how he comes back as well. So, Definitely one to consider, but yeah, I think the the Cowboys that we'll talk about a little bit later on do more for me personally because they are a little bit cheaper. Um, mate, the last, sorry, the second last person that we'll talk about in this sort of mid-range category is Kirk Capewell. I know that Kirk Capewell is getting a lot of love because he's at the Broncos and people think he's just going to play 80. I don't know if he will play 80. I think he'll get a minutes uptick. I think the, the Broncos will rely on him. But he's one of those guys now, look, the thing with Kirk Capewell and the reason why people loved Kirk Capewell is not because of who he was or what he did. It's because he could, he could be picked at centre wing. Like, let's let's be honest. The, the, the centre wing eligibility for him was a godsend because you could just move him down whenever you needed to. Only two RF this year, a bloke that has very, very bad base stats and, and is very attack reliant. Hopefully he can strike up a partnership with Adam Reynolds, but... I'm not too sure if he's going to find the same success as what he did under with, with Nathan Cleary, sorry. I got asked to do some research uh, on Capewell. Uh, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or Facebook. And I've done that. And the straight answer is no, don't pick Kurt Capewell. If you have a real gut feel that he's going to go on a try-scoring tear, by all means pick him. But that is literally what you're going to be relying on to get – really good scores because his base is putrid. Uh, his base is pretty much matched by blokes that are playing, you know, 
20, 25 minutes less than he does on average, which is 66 minutes. His attack was probably much better than, say, the last six or seven that we've spoken to, and that was 13. But he was also getting fed the ball by Nathan Cleary, and he's not going to be getting fed the ball by Nathan Cleary anymore. He's not going to be playing in the best team in the competition anymore. He's 60-60. is only at you know, about 25%. So one in four, he goes over 60. And that was probably related to his try scoring. He, he would need 80 minutes. And even if he got 80 minutes, I still think he'd only average about 55, 60. Yeah. Tops. Just going off his PPM last year. I like using PPM because it's a good metric as to what a player does. Um, Absolutely. And so his PPM was 0.75. So if he plays 80, there you go. which is, if he plays 80, which is, which is a big if, that's 60 points, right? And what kind of value do we think he's going to have? Like it's a 10 point increase in what he did last year, but I just don't really see the 80 minutes as a viable thing. Last year was an average of 49.7 with 65 minutes a game. As I said, PPM of 0.75. Uh, and his base power was 44, which makes me want to throw up because that is putrid. And that's giving him the benefit of the doubt of adding the ba- the base power. If we just look at pure base, it is 36.7, which, God, I could I could find some center wings at 300K that could probably produce that. And, like, that's the thing. Like, the reason why you're picking Kate well is because you are hoping he plays 80. And, and that is just too much of a of a gamble that, that I want to take of him hoping to play at 430K. If he was 350, different story. I'd, I'd take a punt at 350. But the fact that we're paying sort of mid 400s and and you can take Tamalolo for, what is it, 60K more, who I have more confidence in, um, I'd rather do that, unfortunately, for Kurt Catewell. And look, I know that you were getting a lot of love for Kurt Catewell. You wanted to do some research. I got research on the other end, mate. People were asking me about Liam Martin, the guy that's going to take his place. And what was your answer to Kurt Catewell? A hard no. That is my answer. <laughs> that is my answer to Liam Martin as well. Look, Liam Martin is priced at 428.5K, playing only as a 2RF. I've managed to dig up some stats of him uh, and what he does starting, and it's a pretty good sample size. I think the sample size of him starting is about 30 games over the last three years. So 2019, played seven games, average 55. Um 2020 played 16 games, averaged 54. 2021 played eight games, averaged 54. So pretty consistent. His minutes were 68.8 last year. Okay, this is the thing. People are saying, oh, what if Liam Martin plays 80 minutes? 2019, as I, sorry, 2020, as I said, played 16 games, averaged 76.4 minutes a game for a 53 average. That is a PPM of 0.7. That is worse than Kurt Capewell's. His base and power is 50... Point nine, which is six points up on Kurt Catewell. And I've included Viliami Kickhouse stats here as well, um, just for some clarity, because Ivan Cleary likes to use his back rowers rotation-wise in like a three-headed piece, and people are saying that it'll just be two guys playing big minutes, especially Martin, because people think that Catewell doesn't have the motor. But Scott Sorensen had a real emergence last year, and I think that Ivan Cleary goes back to the three-headed dragon of... of um, kick out Martin and Sorensen. Martin is priced at an average of 48.9. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt and then say he's going to average 55. That's a seven-point upside for a guy who I don't feel is going to move a whole lot in price. I feel like Liam Martin is just going to be one of those guys that starts at 4.20, rises to 4.50, has a high break even one, one week, falls back to 4.35, he'll have a jump to 4.50, and you know, like he's one of those guys. I don't think he he is bad enough to trade out, but he's not going to really do a whole lot for you. Like, does that make sense? Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, there's not a huge lot of upside because you're only going to get a pretty mediocre score at the end of the day with a 55 week in week out. That will frustrate you over time, and you're not going to get much of a price rise. So you're going to sit there and kind of, you know, get the shits basically to put it bluntly because. You know, you haven't really made any cash off him, and you know the guys that you want to get are two hundred grand more by this stage. So, and as as the season progresses, it, you're not going to start a fifty five average guy, so he's just going to be there on your bench. He's not going to, he's not going to, like so you know how you have those guys that just score like two two or three weeks of thirties and they start to really shit you, and then you flick them off. Like Martin isn't going to yep. score you three weeks of thirty, but he's not going to score you three weeks of seventy to to warrant a trade up. Like I just feel like he's just going to be there, and he's going to be a big annoyance in your side. Yeah, he'll have good weeks where he scores tries, 
but he'll have other weeks where the floor's just kind of, he scores a 40 and you look at it for two or three weeks in a row and go, Oh, I've got to get this guy out of my side. So personally, I wouldn't start with him at all. Um, I know there's a, there's a lot of love for him. I've seen a lot of sides with him as the fourth second rower, but personally I, I prefer uh, the two Cowboys players who will talk about pretty soon. You and I copped, <laughs> I put up that Liam Martin post, mate. you and I copped it hard on that because I think in our preseason team reveal, we may have said that he has to be in your sides, but the beauty of Supercoach is you make your side, you make a podcast on it and then you start to delve deeper, don't you? Like you'll, you'll put together your initial side, Basically, the way I like, I was sitting in a, in a hospital bed as I did my side, didn't give really much thought on it, and I don't think you gave much thought on yours. But that's the beauty of super coaches because now we can evolve, we can look at our player stats and and delve deeper. God, the amount of times I've pulled apart my side and, and put it back together, um, yeah, I just I looked at Liam Martin because I for some reason he's one of those guys that passes the eye test, doesn't he? He plays with like a lot of aggression. He's always looking mad. So you're like, oh, he must, like, he must, the underlying numbers for him must be amazing. And then, as I said, I pulled apart from you because I think it was you that asked me to to have a, a bit of a look at him. And I pulled him apart and I sent him to you. And I was like, bro, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. And you know, I'm pretty sure you said the exact same thing basically instantly. So, yeah, um, you and I, I think we'll put our hands up to say that that, that we may have got that wrong in our um, in our initial assessment. But that, like I said, that is the beauty of Supercoach. You you pull apart your sides, you get some things wrong, you get some things right. It's all part of the course, aka Cody Ramsey, um, mate. That is that's, that's going to round up the mid range section of this. Um, as you, you keep alluding, guns. you keep alluding to it, mate. You keep alluding to these cowboys that we want to talk about and. And one of them's in my side. One of them's been sort of there or thereabouts, but I want to see more from him. We'll touch on the, the man that's in my side. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're referring to... No, you're not re- referring to Ruben Cotter, who I, I'm a big fan of. We haven't got Ruben Cotter on the run sheet. Um, but yeah, if he starts at 13, I haven't looked at his numbers too heavily. Uh, I do like him, but you look, you're you're referring to Nanai and uh, your man, Helium Lukey. Um, I'm a huge fan of Han Lukey, mate. And... Especially if he's going to play big minutes, he's a, he's a talent. I am a fan of him, but I'm a bigger fan of Jeremiah Nanai. So I'll start with Lukey. Uh, Lukey last season averaged 40.1, so 40 average. His base was 29. His attack was 13. His average minutes were 38. So when when you hear these previous numbers and you go, oh, his base is 29, 29 in 38 minutes, very good. Um, he's priced at a 351.500. So you're probably looking at about 36 was his average in base. Uh, 63 minutes ended up being his average in the games that he actually played properly at the back end of the season. So he's playing proper minutes starting on the edge. Um, what else we got? I said that he shows very strong capability when it comes to base plus power. So he's the type of guy that will get tackle busts. He'll get line breaks. He'll get tries. Huge amount of potential there. Should be starting on the left edge this year. $350,000. So, what, 70 to 80 cheaper than the two guys that we just discussed in in Martin and Capewell. Yeah, he, he was averaging like a 0.1 PPM um, as I'm just doing this now. So, the games that he played over 60 minutes, he went 49, 59, and 52. So... The thing with these cheap guys is, and and look, we just ragged on we just ragged on Kurt Capewell for not producing good base numbers. But you're paying four hundred, what was it, thirty k for Capewell, whereas you're paying three fifty for Lukey. And Lukey is young. Lukey's going to have upside. Um, so I think there's definitely something there. And if he starts, fantastic. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the bench rotations off the top of my head. You've got Cohen Hess, you've got Tom Gilbert, you've got Mitch Dunn, you've got Shane Wright. So there are some names there to be concerned about. Um, but at three fifty, I am definitely interested. And Nanai, I, I have not thought about Nanai at all. So it's really interesting that you brought him up, mate. What what is uh, uh, there's, there's obviously some underlying stats there that, that you like about Nanai. So so why have you brought him to the table? Half of it is the eye test. I went back and watched some footage of his games played last year. Uh, so a 49 average is what he ended up with. Now he only started two games across those two games, but he actually averaged 74 minutes. So he's quite clearly going to be a bloke that can be an 80 minute player potentially. And that, that I really like that. I'd much prefer someone that's playing 80 over someone that's going to, you know, fluctuate between 55 and say 65. I love Billy Ami kick and I like uh, he's base plus power 
is incredible. His low end floor looks like it's going to be about 45. You're talking about numbers that in two or three years time, this guy could be in the conversation of your top 10 second rowers. If you were to keep up those type of numbers. Now I know it's only a two game sample, so you don't want to get too excited, but for the eye test, I think that he could. And if the Cowboys show some form and the Cowboys from memory don't have too bad of a draw to start the season. So, and that's when you want him to be firing is the start of the season. You don't want him to run home with it. You want it early. So you get the points, you get the cash and you quickly move him on to the guys that we've already spoken about on this podcast. So 27 was his base on those games last season, uh, 24 in attack, which is, you know, third highest on my list behind Angus Crichton and Dave Fafita over those two games. And a lot of that wasn't actually try scoring. It was create and evade, which is what you want because you're going to get more create and evade week to week than you are scoring. So for those reasons, I love him. I don't think they'll be in my side until Tuesday of Teamless Tuesday because... Yeah, I'm because, the same. Yeah, yeah I, 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 want to, I want to see what Peyton names um, because, as I said, mm-hmm. there, there is a few names there and you guys like Dunn, Wright, um, and Cohen Hess, for example, that, that could take the spot. So it's one of those ones that we'll monitor. If they win the spot on merit on preseason, then definitely straight in. Either one of them probably won't have both, to be honest, but either one of them. Um, no, I won't carry both, but there's a world where I can... Take Tal Malolo, go down to Nanai, you know, take $145,000 and then use that money really wisely elsewhere. Uh, it could be the difference between carrying an, MB- an NPR or two and then carrying blokes that are potentially either fringe starters or at least in the 17. So I can then use the 140 to then create more cash elsewhere. I should have scrolled down to the run sheet because I looked like an absolute mug. I thought when you kept alluding to $350,000 Cowboys guys, you're going to touch on Ruben Cotter, who I'm a big fan of, but... Not to be. Um, mate, 2020, this guy had a had a wonderful rookie season. Averaged 57 points a game. Uh, had a 0.83 PPM. Played 13 games. Looked really, really solid. Had a season high of 86 points. Had a season floor of 27, which isn't ideal. But for a rookie, uh, I expected huge, huge things out of Eli Katoa. And it didn't sort of materialize in 2021, unfortunately, for him. I think um, he was a, a victim of probably a new coach who didn't, um, rate him as much. He played a bit in the second row, but ended up winning his spot back and, and getting back into the first grade side last year. And if he can have a, a booming preseason, he's priced at three fifty. And if he can even get back to a shade of what we found of him in his rookie season in two thousand nineteen, then there's some big love for Elikatoa whilst uh, Tohu Harris is out. He was the golden haired boy that season. Everyone loved him because he was going so well. It was to the point where in that season you were like, wait, do I hold this guy? Do I actually keep him? Because uh, he went through a run in the middle of the season that was phenomenal. Um, looking at it, he did have the jersey for a while last season. He obviously started the season in the 11. But then it looks like he actually finished the season for the last one, two, three, about Wow, I think it's seven in the last eight weeks. He actually came off the bench. I think so, it's, I think it's more telling that he won his spot back. Personally, like I'm not, I'm not worried about him coming off the bench. I just like that when he was told to go to Reggie's, it it wasn't tools down. And for a young kid, it could have been. You you have this breakout. Oh, okay. You have this breakout. Sorry, I thought you meant he won his starting no, edge no, no, roll no, no, back. No, no. I just, was confused. Just just getting yourself back into the side. Like as a young bloke, he could have just easily said, you know what, like. I had this fantastic rookie season. New coaches come in and toss me to the side after a few bad performances. Stuff this, I'm not, I can't be asked. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a telling sign about his character that he, yeah, one, he just said, all right, we'll, we'll get on with our work. And yeah, a few injuries opened that spot back up to him. I'm not going to uh, deny that. I mean, Jazz Tavanga didn't play well. He was struggling with injuries. Tohu Harris obviously went down. But I just like that he he worked for that for that spot back and and. That could show a whole lot of a whole lot of respect to to Nathan Brown and and yeah, who knows? It's going to be one of those ones that we're going to have to monitor through the preseason. We're going to have to hear these train of the house down or whatever. Um, not one that I'm going to be building my side around, but definitely one to consider in the back of your mind because considering what he did in his rookie season, there is definitely talent there. The negative after I've just spoken about how much work he's done to win his spot back and and how good that is, the negative is that they get that they gave that spot to a center. Like let's not beat around the bush. They gave that edge spot to a center, who is a very similar player to Corey Oates, who always wanted to play in the back row and never really got the chance. But 
yeah, you and Aiken took that spot with two hands and ran with it. I think Katoa's going to need a bit of luck with injuries to, to get the edge spot back. But in Supercoach, all it takes is a few bumps along the road and, and these guys are back in and they're putting out big scores. And, and, and it might take two or three games and Eli Katoa's established himself as one of the best back rowers at the club again. So not one that I'm building my side around, but you've got to look for positives with these younger guys. It's not all nailed on. If if they were nailed on, they would be spoken about a lot more than what they are. So Eli Katoa, I'm keen to look at him during the preseason and the trials and, and just hope his name gets called Teamless Tuesday. I have no interest whatsoever and I'll pretty much eat my hat live on the air if he's the um, starting back rower who absolutely brains it this season. My New Year's resolution is to be more positive, mate. So <laughs> trying to look at the uh, trying to look at that, the bright side of things there. But yeah, look, if he can get a starting spot back, he can work his way in. He can establish that. Then, as we've seen, like the fifty-seven is definitely capable in a rookie season. So the sky's the limit. He just needs to find that form, mate. Is there anyone else off the top of your head that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I'll just quickly go into Kobe Hetherington because there's been I've seen quite a few fair bit of love sides with Kobe as well. Yeah especially with these dual status, which is quite handy. And at 300 with us not knowing if there's going to be any cheapies in that position, I can understand why uh, these numbers. So he started the final nine games of the season. He played in a 13 Jersey. Um, his base increased as it went along. So there wasn't a huge work rate. Um, in fact, overall it was average. Um, he didn't show much ability in those games when it comes to base plus power, which somewhat yeah just 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 withdrawn me a little bit because he was in my sides and i've actually taken him out since i did the homework on him just caveat that when you're saying he showed lack of ability with base and power i don't want broncos fans coming at me i think kobe hetherington is a very good footballer but if we're talking bad about a player it's generally because of their stats not because of the eye test or anything like that so before anyone came oh he actually looked okay in the eye test and that's why like uh, i you were talking about someone earlier and i can't remember who it was they just uh, um Liam Martin, I put him in my side to start the season because I test-wise, I thought, oh, wow, this guy, potentially 80 minutes, he'll kill it. It was only when I ran the numbers and went, well, he's one of those blokes that looks great to watch, but it just doesn't necessarily equate to super coach points and you have those players. Kobe Hetherington, based on what we saw in the last, you know, three months of last season, looks like he's probably going to be one of those guys that's capped at a 40 to 45 average, 50 if you're lucky. Now, I think he's priced at around 30 to 35. So there's a little bit of money to be made there. So you might be able to squeeze the lemon a little bit. Um, but I think so you're going to get some of that lemon in your eyes if you play him in your 17 week to week and there might be a bit of a burn factor. Do you think Do you think that people are maybe falling in love with this idea of Kobe Hetherington because of the price and not really looking at the bigger picture? Like people are suggesting that it's going to be Carrigan and Haas playing prop with, with Hetherington at 13. I still, I still think it's going to be Flegler Haas with Carrigan at 13 personally. And then he'll probably battle for the 14 between him and... As much as I said Billy Walters could start in the Hooker podcast, realistically, I don't think that's the case. I think Billy Walters and Kobe Hetherington might be fighting out for that 14 or, or, or Kobe just nails a spot as sort of a middleman. So do you think people are falling in love with this idea because he's dual and 300k and he started a few games last year? I think people fall in love with anyone that wears the number 13 on their back because we all know what a tremendous ceiling Locke has as a position. You see 300 and go, oh, wow, what if this guy averages 60 or 70? You know, I'll make three or 400K. It's just not always the case. And that's, you know, not everyone is an elite player. Not everyone is, you know, Cameron Murray and the like. So I think that's why. Um, I've tempered my expectations. I probably don't expect as much uh, from Kobe as I did. If I was absolutely desperate and didn't want to play a Chiefy or enough in the backup hooker position, then I'd go there. But what I decided uh, was that I was going to take Harry Grant after our hooker pod and yeah. the stats that we ran through. <laughs> I decided I was going to go Harry Grant and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick his backup. I've converted so round you. one, he's backup. We'll start. I will start him, take whatever I can get from him. It's a dual player, I think. So I'll eventually be able to flick him out of the side and get whatever cheapy I can. So I will burn a trade but I think it'll be worth it to get Harry Grant and it won't affect me too much Welcome, uh, score-wise. Welcome to one. the church of Harry Grant, mate. It's taken me <laughs> taken me just over a month to convert you, but I've got you there eventually. Um, mate, that's going to round us up for, for basically the two RFs. We haven't covered everyone because there are so many two RFs to cover. If, if we have missed anyone uh, that you guys want to talk about, um, as you guys know, I drop 
daily uh, post twice a day on on Supercoach. So let me know if you want to see some some stat breakdowns that I can post. Or um, Brew is much more active on Twitter than I am. He is more than happy to get into discussions around players. So um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see both our handles below. Uh, I'm available on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter and TikTok, uh, like I said, that's, that's a weird thing to say. Uh, Brew is available on Facebook and on Twitter. Brew uh, is around most of the, the, the big super coach groups. He does a lot of um, the promo work for me, which is fantastic. So you'll see him share some of my stuff and uh, he's, he's always happy to answer a few questions. Um, for anyone that's still listening, I'm going to plug the YouTube again. It's just the Dual Position podcast. Uh, subscribers are going up, mate, which is, which is always nice. So... Another median for you guys to watch us talk absolute dribble. Um, but as I said, if, if we've missed anyone that you guys wanted to hear about, I know that we missed a few people in the Front Row Forward podcast as well. So um, you guys let me know about that. And the same with the two RFs and the same with basically any position going forward. It's impossible for us to talk about everyone without going on for hours and hours on end. But uh, yeah, try and cover the most talked about guys, the ones that you'll see probably owned by the, the highest percentage of teams and, and we'll give our feedback. But um, mate, as always, I'm very, very thankful for you to come on. We've just run for just over an hour today. So definitely a good discussion had with the two RFs. Yeah. Good luck with everyone picking your, picking your second rows and uh, bring on Australia Day, I guess. That's normally when they release Supercoach. Yes, so. yes. I, I get that message four or five times a day. Uh, for you guys that aren't Supercoach Gold subscribers, it's around Australia Day last year. I think it was the 28th. Uh, the year before, it might have been the 24th. So just, yeah, around Australia Day, it'll be back opened. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to, to start looking at some teams. I'll uh, probably be doing it in a different light this year than what I did last year. But, um, yeah, more than happy to answer your questions, as I said. Brew, thank you very much. You've got some, uh, some kids to attend to, and I've got uh, not a whole lot else doing. So... Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Much appreciated. Uh, a review on Spotify now. You can leave reviews on Spotify. It would be fantastic. Apple, YouTube, the works. The the, the more, I guess, um, interaction we get with that, the the further it reaches and therefore the the more it talks about. Um, Brew, we've got a few messages, mate, about leagues and stuff this year. We'll be def- definitely doing a few leagues and I'll, I'll try and, and hit up some prizes for those guys that... Uh, Join those, but that's going to be, I guess, all the housekeeping done at the end, mate. Uh, Thank you once again for coming on, and uh, ciao for now. Ciao for now. Bye.